Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hey guys, I'm Tad, host of A Tad Predictable on EPL Index. Check me out there. Check me out on Twitter at Tad Predicts on Twitter. Hi everyone, I'm Jamie Smith. I talk about Burnley, I write and edit the No Near Never newsletter, which goes out on Substack uh, most Mondays. Awesome, thanks so much for joining me uh, today, guys. Uh, folks at home, I'm going to just start off uh, with hopefully one last apology about the inconsistency that the shows have been coming out with. I was dealing with my concussion, then my wife had a procedure done on her back, and it has made uh, sticking to the regular show schedule a bit difficult, but... Uh, Hopefully things will be a bit normalized going forward, and if they aren't, then at least you kind of know behind the scenes why that's the case. Um, but uh, let's just jump into it. Obviously, have two terrific guests on today. Um, I figure we should start off by talking about the City-Chelsea match, which ended up being a very good one. A lot of times we get these, air quotes, big-name matches, and they kind of disappoint. Not really the case in this one. But City themselves will likely be disappointed uh, having drawn despite leading three different times and have also won just three of their last six Premier League matches now. Do you guys think that the door is starting to open for someone else to potentially claim the title this season? Or do you think it's just too early and eventually they'll go on some sort of juggernaut-esque run down the back half? The door is definitely a lot more open than previous seasons. I think the difficulty I have with um, teams sort of getting ahead a of City in a title race is squad depth and we're seeing it with Spurs at the moment and this has always been my sort of track when when Spurs were doing well at the beginning of the season is we know Madison's going to get injured at some point you hope he doesn't but based on his history it's, it's going to happen at some point Son seems to be playing with an injury at the moment you hope he can play the whole season with it but if if you know god forbid something happens where he can't continue to play with that injury and then obviously all the other injuries and suspensions that have come on for Spurs, you then start looking at the squad and saying, you know, the level definitely drops. Whereas with City, when they have suspensions, when they have injuries, it doesn't seem like the level drops as much as other teams' levels. And they've made it so hard in the Premier League that you almost have to get 100 points just to get into the conversation with with them that you have to have a squad that can go a whole season taking into account injuries that occur for every single club. So that's always been my my issue is looking at teams and saying, do they have a squad that can survive an entire season taking into account injuries? And not many teams can do that. Um, looking at the Premier League currently, I don't know if many teams can do that either. Um, Liverpool, I think, have shortfalls. Arsenal, I think, have shortfalls. Spurs have shortfalls. Um, Chelsea, 
they've got a big squad, but it's a young squad. Inconsistencies there. I, I don't know who else you want to throw into that conversation, but yeah, it, it just seems like from a from a depth perspective, City still have such a strong squad compared to everyone else, and that might be what plays out and, and what seals the title for them in in the long term. In terms of the door being open, it's open. It's just, I guess, which team is going to be fortunate with injuries. I think that's the the only way you sort of can keep up with City. Hope that the injuries aren't too bad or in in positions that are that are really, really hurting you. And and then maybe you've got to go, you know, at, at, at trying to win the title. But does it need a hundred points this season? It's not looking like you need a hundred. You probably need low nineties which again means there is a chance for other teams because usually you know you need 100. So there is a window, but I'm not optimistic just based on injury um, projections. Yeah, I think squad depth is is always going to be crucial in terms of maintaining form for the whole season. Um, I think the only player that City can't replace is Rodri, and we've seen the games that they've lost recently when Rodri wasn't available. Um, so I think he's the one that they've obviously got Calvin Phillips, who is close to being a replacement, but Rodri's probably the best in the world for his position. And Calvin Phillips has has no trust from the manager, seemingly. So when Rodri's unavailable, that does sort of open the door for, for teams to get results against Manchester City. The thing that struck me about the, the Chelsea game, first of all, what a game, probably the best game in the season so far. I don't think it's exaggerating to say that was City's complete lack of control. Control is something that Pep Guardiola's teams have always had. They've always sort of strove for. Guardiola really wants control above everything else. He thinks if you control the ball, control the match, you inevitably win the game. And it's been proven to work season after season, not just in this league, but in La Liga and the Bundesliga as well. They had no control at all today. Conceded four to a Chelsea team that until a similarly wild game against Spurs, they'd really struggle for goals. You wouldn't expect City to concede force to Chelsea. And it could have been more. Chelsea had plenty of other chances. So I think there were signs in that match that City have some vulnerabilities that we've maybe not seen. And I think it's natural that there's been a bit of a drop-off after last season. Obviously, they won the treble. They were unbelievable. Um, But their squad's arguably stronger than it was last season. I think the changes that have made the outgoings, the players coming in, Doku adds that bit of X-factor out wide. Obviously lost a bit of experience um, with Gundogan going um, and Mares as well. But I think players like Doku are going to give them something extra down the stretch. And you always see with City that it is running when they're really kicking to gear. I think Guardiola builds these teams with with the sort of second half of the season, the last third of the season in mind. Everything's designed with making sure that they're completely set for that. And I think what Tad was saying about the squad depth plays into that. In most positions, they have similar quality players, which is obviously easy when you've got basically unlimited money, right? It's like playing football manager on easy mode when you've got so much money to spend on players. And I know City claim they don't really spend that much, but they do. We all know that they do. Um, but being able to rotate Doku and Grealish, for example, is just a luxury that most other teams don't have. Um and I haven't seen too much of the teams that you would maybe describe as the main contenders, but I don't think anyone's really standing out as 
as someone who's probably going to be able to push push City all the way. I don't think Arsenal fixed some of the issues they had last season. Um, Liverpool probably still in transition. I mean, that's probably fair to say. Uh, and the other teams look a long way away. So it's still City for me. And in terms of talking about the door being open to answer the question, the concern if I was in the chasing pack is that City don't look like City and they're still top of the league. Mm. Yep, definitely concerning. And uh, <laughs> for people wondering, why is nobody mentioning Spurs anymore? Well, our entire season got blown up on Monday. <laughs> but because of the depth issues that we were talking about is why I was never one of the we're going to win the league uh, group. We basically have nine good players. <laughs> and then two of them got hurt and two of them got suspended in the same match. So uh, <laughs> stuff like that happens when you aren't built the way City are. And, and speaking of City's depth, City's depth is so good that they let go of two players that scored against them today. Like, <laughs> that, those were people that were in their building that they felt were either surplus to requirements or they could get money out of moving on than, than they would get value out of keeping them. Um, but moving to the Chelsea side, and those two, obviously, Sterling and Cole Palmer, the latter with the equalizer at the death there from a penalty. Um, do you think that with this draw, doing it against City, obviously the big win against Tottenham uh, the previous Monday, that they'll look back at these as kind of like a turning point for their season and that this will prove to be a really meaningful, you know, eight-day stretch for them? I hope they do. I really hope for for Pacha's sake that they do because what they've done with their transfer policy is basically assemble as many wonder kids as they possibly can. And... One, that's going to take time for them to grow up and, and become consistent, you know, elite players. And we all know with Wonder Kids, not every single one is going to hit. So some of those kids are going to fall away. Some of them are, are, are going to be just average. And then obviously you'll get some of them that become, you know, in, in that elite conversation. And Poch seems to be, in my opinion, the right manager for that type of team, a young, energetic, hungry team. Um he seems to just fit them quite well. And with such a young team, it's going to be inconsistent. They're going to look like world beaters, you know, in games like like we saw today against City, where obviously they still conceded four, but going forward, the fluidity just looked really, really impressive. And then they're going to get other games where they just, you know, that, that first 15, 20 minutes against Spurs, they were not in that game. The red card literally changed that game, in my opinion. Um, so you are going to get that roller coaster season for them. But if they stick with Pep for a couple of years, I mean, with, with Poch for a couple of years, I think it's going to bear fruit. And we also can't forget that they've gotten Kunku still to come, who was one of the hottest properties in, in Europe. Um, you know, when, when he signed for Chelsea last year, I, I think it got confirmed last year and he's come in this year. Um, yeah, I, I think they've got a really young, exciting squad. It's going to take time. It just depends whether they become impatient with, with how quickly they want the success to come. Yeah, I agree. I think Pochettino is starting to build something there. Um, it was always going to be really difficult. And I just said Liverpool were in transition. I think Chelsea clearly are as well. They spent all that money. The squad still seems a bit imbalanced in certain areas. That The striker, I think there's a big question mark over Jackson. He's got more bookings than goals this season and almost for his career, which is incredible for a striker. Um, but there's certainly talent there. I'm, I'm really impressed with how Raheem Sterling's playing this season. I thought he was excellent mm. today. Obviously, he had a point 
who's playing against Chelsea, um, playing against City, sorry, who'd let him go. Um, I don't really understand why he seems to have been jettisoned from the England setup. He's gone from being one of England's most important players to just completely ignored. I don't think he's been in a squad since since the World Cup, um, which is a bit weird. Um, and Sterling's he's going to have to be the leader for that team, right? They're so inexperienced throughout. And even though we've all watched Raheem Sterling playing as a teenager and it feels like he's been around forever, he's still not really that old. He's late 20s, but he's very experienced in the context of that Chelsea team. He's going to need to lead that attack. Um, and I think he's got it in him. They, they're going to need leaders from surprise areas, it's fair to say. Obviously, they've got players like Reese James who've come through the academy and Conor Gallagher and Thiago Silva who's hugely experienced but they're going to need that leadership from players like Raheem Sterling. I think Tad's point about Pochettino being a really good fit for a, for the squad is is a solid one as well. We saw his best work at Spurs came when he had a similar group of young players that we could mould and young players tend to be more amenable to doing all the hard work and things so I think he's been a good appointment and it's going to happen for them but Ultimately, we're November and they're right in the middle of the table, right? So there's a lot of work to do. I think they probably find it easier to get up for these big games, games against the likes of City, derbies against teams like Spurs. I think it's almost more telling what Chelsea do against the other mid-table teams because mm. they are a mid-table team at the minute. They were last season, they are this season. They need to prove that they can beat those teams and get back to being European contenders. Um, and you need to sort of grind out those tighter matches, and I've not really seen that they're capable of doing that yet. Yeah, I, I obviously have split opinions about whether or not <laughs> I want Poch to do well uh, at Chelsea. I agree that giving Pochettino young talent is generally going to work better than giving him older players with huge egos, uh, obviously, as we saw at PSG, which didn't go particularly well. Um, but yeah, I... I I don't want Chelsea's business model to become one that people are trying to replicate, where you're just buying all of the young talent that you can, not even really worried about like the positions that you might be overbuying in versus ones you're underbuying in, or how they're all supposed to get on the pitch at the same time. Like the things about like last year when they were talking about how there weren't even enough seats in the dressing room for all of their players. But nevertheless, yeah, it's it's gonna be an interesting one. And I do think we'll look back on this as being a pretty formative. Um, part in their season if things do get better from here for them but j- as you said Jamie it, they'll have to start doing it in you know the matches where the the spotlight isn't on as much um, so we will see how that goes and I do agree with the ultimate point that City are probably just fine and probably going to win another title unless somebody really shows up and Tad you mentioned the the demand to almost get 100 points when you're going up against City. Obviously, point totals like that require other people to not be picking up very many at all. And that's what we're seeing at the opposite end of the table. There are currently four clubs uh, that haven't reached 10 points yet this season, three of them being the three promoted sides who haven't gotten more than six. Uh, So I was curious why you think that the promoted sides, obviously Luton, Sheffield United and Burnley, uh, have found it so difficult to make the step up this season. Yeah, with regards to Burnley, I'm I'm definitely going to uh, pass the bat on to to Jamie um, to to talk more in depth about them. But I think from my perspective, the biggest thing when you come into the Premier League is do you have a striker that's going to get you about 
10 to maybe 15 might be a stretch, but do you have a striker that's going to get you 10 goals in the league um, and help, you know, that that's going to help you drive forward. I, I'm looking at the, the teams that came up, the business that they did. I don't know if, they all accomplished that, or at least maybe they they may have, but they haven't come to fruition yet. Um, and and that's always going to make things a lot difficult for you. If, if you're struggling to score goals, it, it's going to be near impossible to sort of um, stake a claim in the, in, in the Premier League. And also, I think another big thing that, that we have to take into account is just the insane amount of money that is in the Premier League. When you're coming up, you still have to make that decision of, okay, do we go big and, and sort of, you know, spend a lot of money to try and stay in? Or do we try and build a team that's really good for the championship so that next year when we go down, we can come straight back up and then we build from there? Or do, do we just, you know, sit and, 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 and sort of bank that money for, for, for the future? But yeah, I, I think it's, I think for me, goals is is the biggest issue. Um, I think Burnley have only scored nine this season. We've got Sheffield United and Luton that have both scored ten this season. I, I, I don't know if they have enough goals this season to 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 stay up. In terms of if I'm hoping for one to stay up or not, I, I think there is bias. I, I must say, from the perspective of a tad predictable because. Um, we had reckless predictions at the beginning of the season uh, before the transfer window ended. And one of um, our executive producers' predictions was that Luton were going to stay up. And I obviously predicted that they weren't. So, um, you know, selfishly, I, I don't want them to stay up, but I'm, I'm sure it will be a great Cinderella story if, if they are able to stay up. But yeah, um, I might defer to to Jamie with regards to, to Burnley. Um, Sheffield United... I think initially, early in the season, they were unlucky with a few results. And then it sort of starts to snowball. Unlucky turns into, you know, players not having confidence, turns into then bad results and, and trying to turn things around. They they had a spirited effort um, earlier today, but obviously a, a red card in that game uh, affected maybe how the result ended up. But I, I think Sheffield United could maybe do something with a bit more luck. It just seems like they've been very, very unlucky. Burnley, from my perspective, um, with company, what he was doing last season, I don't think is going to work this season in the Premier League. It seems like he's trying to, obviously he's he's grown up in the, in the, the Pep system and he's trying to embrace that again this season, which we saw elements of it last season to, to, to great effect. But the reason Pep is so successful is because he has the, you know, some of the best players in their positions in the world executing his game plan. When he, you know, when you don't have some of the best players in the world executing that type of game plan, it becomes a lot more difficult. And I just think company needs to maybe either adapt a bit to the position that Burnley are coming into the league as, you know, sort of from the bottom coming up, or Burnley might need to go in a different direction to be maybe a bit more pra pragmatic, which might be, um, you know, a, a tough decision to make considering everything that company did last season. Yeah, I agree with all of Tad's assessment on on Burnley there. I think he's absolutely spot on with the, the differences in strategies as well. I think Luton and Sheffield United certainly fit that category of 
being willing to bank a lot of the money and try and come back. Luton's promotion itself was pretty much a surprise, right? I don't think it was part of their plan really to come up last year, but you don't turn down promotion when it's when it becomes a possibility. So I don't think they were really ready. Sheffield United have a lot of behind the scenes stuff going on as well that means that they're a little bit more unstable. Um, so I think they're in the same sort of position where they quite happily go down and bank a lot of the money. They've sold a couple of their better players over the summer as well, including Sander Berger coming to us. So I think it was expected for those two to be down there. Um, Burnley's strategy is to sort of invest in players who've got resale value and hopes that you can develop enough of them to sell for profit. But it seems to have come at the expense of actually building a squad that can compete as well. Um a lot of fans seem to think that we're doing the go down and come back stronger thing, but we had a really good team in the championship last season. We've got 101 points and blew the league away. So did we need to buy £90 million worth of players to be a good team in the championship? We already had a good team in the championship. I don't get it. Um, and it's true to say that £90 million, obviously it's a lot of money to spend for a promoter team, but it's also not like we've seen Forrest do 100 million last summer, Fulham, I think, did 100 million the summer before last. So it's not unheard of for promoted teams to do that. Um, I think what we've seen at Burnley is that it's it's an imbalanced squad with really obvious weaknesses, a left back, defensive midfield, crucial positions not been strengthened. Um, I think Sheffield United are actually the most interesting of the bottom three in the minute and that they've taken four points from their last two games, which is as many points as Burnley have got all season. So they're clearly trending up. They're off the bottom of the table at our expense. So Jeff and Yacht fans are probably feeling pretty happy going into the international break right now. Um, the concern for me is a more general football fan. Obviously, I'm a Burnley fan. I want Burnley to do well, but a lot of the excitement in the Premier League, right, is relegation battles and who's going to go up, who's going to go down and who's going to stay up at the minute. It almost looks cut and dry right now. Like before the weekend, the bottom four were cut off. Bournemouth won to climb away from it a bit. They've won a couple of games recently. It almost looks like the bottom three is just going to be the bottom three and there's not going to be much debate. Um, and it could be sort of historic low points totals for some of the teams going down or certainly some of the teams staying up. Um, but there's a lot of football still to go. I think it'll be interesting to see what those teams do in January in terms of bringing in new players. It'd be interesting to see if any of them want to change the manager or decide to stick with what they've got and trust that they'll be able to bring them back if they do go down. Um, but yeah, I think it's... <sighs> the thing for me is I looked at the table last season when Burnley were obviously in the Championship and doing really well. And there was a cluster of teams that didn't get relegated that I felt only stayed up because the bottom three were really, really bad. Like Everton, Palace, Wolves, they were bad teams last season. But the three that went down were even worse. So I thought we were going to be all right this season because I thought those bad teams were still going to be bad. But I think what we've seen is that the step up is becoming harder and harder and even bad teams like Everton, who were quite bad again this season, look like they're going to be good enough. Yeah, that point you made was a really good one. I think we had a show in April, maybe, 
And at the time, there were 10 teams within six points of the relegation zone, which was crazy. And yeah, I'm sure you kind of thought just mathematically it was likely that enough of them would be bad that you'd probably be okay. But yeah, definitely uh, not how things are turning out thus far. Hopefully it gets better, but obviously we'll talk about Burnley a little bit later in the show. Uh, I want to wrap up this opening section uh, by talking about the managers that have impressed you thus far. Obviously, uh, Big Ange Postacoglu has stolen all the limelight, although I'm pretty confident he won't win a fourth consecutive uh, manager of the month award. But yeah, which other managers do you think you know could have been in with a shout for for those awards or have you just generally been impressed by? Um, I think maybe I'll speak more generally than necessarily manager of the month awards because they they had a couple of draws and a loss in in the recent games. Um, Gary O'Neill at Wolves has been really impressive to me. I think if you're Bournemouth and and you're looking at what he's doing there, you you sort of might wonder should should we have kept him? Would it have been worth it to keep him? I'm, it's expensive uh, replacing managers. Um, sometimes one of those things that's hardly ever spoken about, the amount of money that clubs are spending paying off managers that no longer work at the clubs that they're working at. But, um, yeah, I think for me he's been really impressive. He came into a tough situation at Wolves where they didn't look like they were going to be spending a lot of money. They lost a lot of their key players. Matinho was coming sort of to the tail end of his career, it seemed like, and, and he was heading off, obviously, Losing uh, Ruben Neves is 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 massive for any team, more so Wolves with um, the position that they've been in in recent seasons. So, I think to come into a club to a club that's probably slightly dejected, um, considering they would have been hoping to to be higher up in in the table. I think he's done a fantastic job job to sort of regalvanize everyone, get everyone bought in. And they've caused serious, serious problems for teams throughout the season. Unfortunate for them that Neto got injured again. Um, one of those players that you just wish the the injury record wasn't the way that it is. It, it just seems he can't get a, a a break when it comes to injuries. But yeah, I think they've been really impressive. I think for me also, David Moyes has been impressive at, at times. I think... Obviously, they, they did really well last season. I was expecting a fall off this season with the amount of football that they would have having to play, the step up in competition in Europe, obviously them going up a tier, losing Declan Rice. Obviously, they, they made some very good signings you know, with, with the money that they got in. But I did think that it was going to be a, a bit more of a struggle for them this season than it has been. But five wins in... In, in the game so far this season, I think that's a lot better than I was expecting them to do. Um, obviously, they had the tough start earlier in the season, but they seem to be trying to get back on track. They've got a method of playing that maybe is not always um, the, the fan favorite for, for, for many fans. I know uh, I work with a, a very passionate West Ham fan that's always quite annoyed with the the way that they play, but it does seem to be effective at times um yeah you, Ange, as you've mentioned i think the, the only thing with with Ange is just to say for, for spurs fans because obviously um it, it's run hot and cold where on the one part you know spurs were winning the league and then now the season's over you know and they've only lost two games this season it, it it's crazy but 
I think the exciting thing and, and what I would hold on to if I'm a Spurs fan is the fact that he's shown you what he could do, you know, in a perfect world. Yeah. So now you can drive to try and achieve that. You you know, we now know squad depth is an issue. We know, you know, there, there's certain things that you learn along the way. But if you've got a manager in place that you can see what they're trying to do, you can see when they try to do it, how successful it can be. I, I think that's quite ex- encouraging for them. And it, to me, it seems like Spurs have now a manager in place for the next three, four, five years, hopefully longer if, if it goes well for them. Um, but yeah, I think those would be the managers that uh, I would be highlighting. Uh, Moyes, obviously Ange, and then uh, Gary O'Neill. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree with any of those. I think Gary O'Neill is doing really, really good work at, at Wolves. An outstanding win against Spurs this weekend. What really struck me about that match was that Wolves were really trying to win it right at the end. You'd see a lot of teams, I think, having equalised late in the day, even against weakened opponents where obviously Spurs had so many players missing. Um, I think a lot of teams in that situation at home to a big club would have sort of shut up shop and just taken the point as a as a bit of a bonus. I've got this bugbear at the minute about the only fans treating every match as a free hit because they just expect to lose. But if you expect to lose matches, you'll lose matches. That's just how football works. So the fact that Wolves were willing to try and win that game at the end, plus it was richly rewarded that they managed to get the winner. Um, A couple of other managers that I would throw in, I always like to sort of compare tables, essentially, last season compared to this season. Um, since he took over at Aston Villa, I think Unai Emery has been one of the best managers in the league. The table for post-Emery probably has them second to City. Um, and they're only three points off the top now. So we didn't talk about Villa as title contenders in the bit earlier in the show, but why not? They've spent really well. Players like Moussa Diaby have taking really well to the Premier League. Ollie Watkins is having a fantastic season that was solid at the back. I think they're a really, really good team. Probably the best team we've seen against Burnley this season. They look like they've got bags of talent in attack and they're not easy to score against in most games as well. So I think Villa have made huge strides under Emery, who obviously didn't have the best of times at Arsenal, but since gone away and rebuilt his reputation a bit and He's come back and done very well. So I'm pleased for Unai Emery because he was treated as a, a bit of a figure of fun at times because of his accent, essentially, which was unfair. Um, and actually, I want to look in the bottom half of the table as well because I think a lot of people were expecting Everton to have another really, really hard season with everything that's going on behind the scenes there regarding the ownership and the ch- Chairman Bill Kenwright died recently. There's uncertainty over the stadium. There's talk about points deduction over the finances. And Sean Dyche, as he always does, just gets the results quietly, picks up wins on the road when no one expects them. He's got them in the quarterfinals of the Carabao Cup. They've got a home draw against Bowen. Everton haven't won a trophy in about a billion years. Sean Dyche could deliver silverware for Everton. Wouldn't that be a story? Um, it might not be pretty at times, but I think you look at Everton's squad, they've barely got two pennies to rub together, right? They've not spent much at all since Dyche has been there. They've relied on the players that they had. They're getting the most out of the talent that I think they've got available when there's no Calvert-Lewin up front. We know he's injury-prone. They don't really have anyone to fill in. It's a case of 
making do, really. And I think Dash is probably going to take them to 12th, 13th in the table, which Everton fans might not be thrilled by, but the state of that club off the pitch, I think Dash is going to do a really, really good, solid, unspectacular, safe job for them. Yeah, kind of related to the relegation zone discussion we were having, Everton are in 14th, which might not seem very impressive, but that is eight points clear of the relegation zone already. <laughs> so, they're basically uh, safe. Unless they get 12 points deducted, they're basically safe. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so uh, I guess that's the goal this year. At least get as many points as you're going to get deducted, and then hopefully you'll be fine. Uh, but yeah, no, obviously, I, I think those are all great points. And I'll just elaborate a little bit further on uh, Postacoglu, just because... Uh, Obviously, he's my manager. I, I fully agree with what you're saying, Ted. I think it is so important to find out as early as possible whether or not a signing or a manager is what you expected them to be, if they're going to be able to hold down that position, like you said, for years and years. And I do think that that is what happened, is whether Levy was thinking of opening up the checkbook in January or not, uh, we'll never know if he wouldn't have if we had had a worse start if we were like Everton in, in 14th. Um, but the fact that we know that he's our guy now probably makes it more likely that we'll be willing to invest, maybe replace some of the injured players. And uh, just a little forecast of why things aren't going to get <laughs> particularly better for Spurs anytime soon is as soon as Von Deven and Madison are scheduled to be back sometime in January, we're without Sun, Basuma, and Saar for a month for AFCON and the Asian Games. So uh, there's going to need to be some investment. And I do think that that's easier once you know that you have your guy in place. Uh, as manager. All right, we'll take a quick break and then we'll be back with club specific questions for each of our guests. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All right, and we are back, Ted. We'll start off with you talking about Liverpool. Uh, from the outside looking in, it seems like before every match, you flip a coin and you have to decide whether or not it's going to be a good performance or whether or not you're going to have good finishing with the two maybe not coinciding as much as Liverpool fans would hope. Obviously, still just a point back of uh, league leaders City at the moment, so it's still working out for you. But we're just wondering why you think that's the case and if there's kind of a solution in mind as to how you can kind of marry the two a bit better. I, I think, one, there's a lot of you know turnover over the last one or two years so it's going to take time for players to figure out you know the movement the running um you know that that kind of thing naturally takes time that's fine 
Um, and then obviously from a finishing perspective, the, the biggest I saw in that perspective, I guess, is Darwin Nunes. I mean, even the I, I was laughing because even the goal he scored earlier today, which ended up being ruled offside. Oh, the overhead he's basically, kick? No, not even that oh. one. The, there was one earlier where he's basically in the chocolate box, the six-yard box, and he's got a, a, you know, it's just him and the keeper, and he sides-foots it, and it goes in, but it goes off the post before going in, and it's like, oh, that that's typical Darwin Nunes, that, you know, it had to hit the post before it went in. It, he just couldn't you know, <laughs> hit the back of the net straight away. But I think, obviously, with him, he's still young. It's It's going to take time for him to settle down, sort out his finishing. But we were speaking, you know, earlier before the podcast started and I, and I was saying, I'm not worried about him at all. You know, he's big, he's strong, he's fast. He's a willing, you know, runner. He's hardworking. He's got players like Mo Salah that he's playing with. So he's always going to get chances, in my opinion, just, either just from his raw pace, you know, from his size, uh, from the players that he's playing with, he's going to get chances at Liverpool. And the finishing will come. Um, if it eventually doesn't come, if, if he starts, you know, if he's now 26 and and he's still missing these same type of chances, then you start to worry. But at, at his age, um, before you turn 25, I think it's more important that you're getting into those positions than necessarily whether or not you're finishing them off. Obviously, fans want you to be finishing them off, you know, every single time you get an opportunity. But in terms of development per perspective, and I'm sure this is what the Liverpool staff will be trying to hone into him, is that it, it's going to come. It, it will eventually come for him. Um, I think that, yeah, I think overall the biggest thing for Liverpool is that transition period. I don't buy that last year was a transition period. It wasn't. They just got the transfer window wrong and they used it as a cop-out. And I don't understand how that became a narrative that, oh, last year they were in a transition seat. No, last year they still <laughs> They had. forgot to buy enough midfielders. You know what I mean? They still had majority of the team that, you know, went, what was it, um, 12 minutes uh, from winning all four trophies. Like, it, it was not a transition season last season. They thought that squad still had enough to go again last season. Obviously, they they, they didn't. And you know, that's why it's resulted in such a big turnover this season. But last season wasn't a transition window. This season, we're actually seeing a transition window. I think, as you said, the positive thing for Liverpool is, although they're not quite there yet, they're still in the picture for the title race. I think the pos the big positive for Liverpool this season so far is that Virgil van Dijk is starting to finally look like he's back. Yeah. Um, As a Dutch with, fan, I was very age. worried that last year was the age cliff regression, and it's very nice to see that it was maybe just a down year. But also, it's the injury, the ACL. It's it's the same yeah. with um, with Bentenker. It Yes, he's back playing now, but ACL injuries, and I'm sure you know because you watch NFL, it's maybe two years 18 months if, if you're really lucky. But in two years' time, that's probably when you're going to see that player back to what they were. So, yes, they might be playing and they might be back, but you, you have, you're not getting that player back for a good while. And it's, you know, it's been about two years now since Van Dijk had that injury. And we can see that it's, it's tracked in that way, that he's starting to play 
similar to the the high standards that we were expecting from him last season. And if you have a Van Dyke back to his, you know, or as close as he possibly can to his peak powers, you have an Alison Becker, you have a Salah, that spine is enough to bridge the gap in a trans in a transition window, I think. Because I for me, Alison's the best keeper in the world. Um Van Dyke at his best would be the best defender in the world. I don't think he's there at the moment, but he's looking like he's getting into that those conversations. Salah, again, one of the best players in the world. He seems to just continue to do that. So if you've got that in your team, and then now you've got the energy of the younger midfield um, with the Soboslais, McAllister, who's being misused, in my opinion, as a six. Um, I don't know, you mentioned Endo Bef, you know, earlier when we were talking earlier today, I, I don't know if you want me to talk on him, but that that one I think is is an issue for Liverpool at the moment. Yeah, before we hit record, I said there were a couple of things <laughs> I wanted to talk to you about, and one of them is why the heck you have a defensive midfielder wearing the number three. But if you're playing, <laughs> if you're playing McAllister as as your holding midfielder, then it does make me a little more curious about how he's being used and why having now brought in midfielders, you're deploying them the way that you are. It's evident that Liverpool were looking for defensive midfielders. They tried for Caseda, they tried for Lavia. They they didn't get either of them. Um, ended up getting Endo, who I think was sort of one of those. It, it, it's a player that's easy to get. If we don't get our top targets, we can get him and hopefully he can bridge the gap. My worry with him is his turn of pace. It seems to me, and this is just purely on the eye, I haven't looked at the metrics or anything, it seems to me that people can run past him a lot easier than I would like a defensive middle midfielder to get run by. Um, and that's going to cause a lot of problems for you in the Premier League because a lot of teams are really quick in transition. We know what the Brentfords can do, for example, in transition. Um, so many teams can cause you issues in transition. So for me, I think he, in an ideal world, would have been brought in as a squad player that can play in the Europa League, play in the Carabao Cup, fill in when needed in the Premier League, but not necessarily being a focal point or being the starting defensive midfielder for Liverpool. And then McAllister, he's not a defensive midfielder. He's literally playing there because Liverpool, I don't think, trust Endo to play there and don't have anyone else that they trust to play there at the moment. So, yeah, hopefully they do something in January to address that because I, I don't think they can go a whole season with McAllister being their starting DM and, and expect to do do much in terms of winning trophies this season. Gotcha. Well, yeah, we'll obviously see how it goes. But as you said, the, the main takeaway here is that you're still in that title race, still in that Champions League race, despite maybe having not had the best performances or finishing to date. Um, Jamie, we'll come to you now to talk about Burnley. And instead of talking about the on-pitch stuff, because uh, we've already touched on it and it's probably not very fun to talk about, uh, I wanted to talk about what was going on with the Lyle Foster situation. Because anytime a club gets like a big um, kind of moral decision wrong, whether it be you know racism or sports washing or concussions or stuff like that, we just hammer them in and out. And I just am not sure that the Burnley thing is getting enough credit because you have a player in Lyle Foster, you have nine goals as a club, he was involved in five of them, and yet you've been willing to let him go uh, to help sort out his mental health for an indeterminate amount of time. Um, as a fan of the club, does that make you proud to see that your club's doing that? And, and were you surprised that uh, maybe a player that on the outward 
surface seemed to be doing so well might have been struggling so much inside. Yeah, it does make me proud. And there's a list, there's a long list of things that the club's got wrong on and off the pitch this season. Like I, I could be here all night talking about them, so it's best not to even start, to be honest. But yeah, I think there was obviously sadness when it was announced that Lyle was taking some time out. But then you're right. I think we're all proud to see that the club's doing the right thing and supporting Lyle as, as best as best it can. I would say that I think they didn't really have that much choice. I think if a, a player's really struggling with their mental health, you can't really force them to turn up and, and play. If they're not in the right state of mind, mm. they need to just have some time out. Um, I think Lyle, I was going to say he's fortunate in a way, but it's the wrong choice of words, really. I think it's it's helpful that Craig Bellamy is on our staff and Craig Bellamy is someone who's spoken about his own mental health issues in the past. So um, Bellamy's the attacking coach as well, so he probably works very closely with Lyle Foster. I imagine those two have had a lot of conversations and Bellamy will be helping Lyle as, as best as he can. Um, I think Lyle had, had spoken in the media back home in South Africa during the summer about having struggled with his mental health in the past. So it's not something that's come out of nowhere we were presumably aware of it um a while ago if not when we signed him in january that's obviously not really something that you can always take into account when you're signing players anyway but it might have been on our radar so it might be that we knew that we were going to have to support him um and give him whatever support and help that he needed the most important thing is obviously that lyle gets the help that he needs that he doesn't come back until he feels ready to do so, that he doesn't rush back. Um, and it's a real shame because he's been our standout player this year. He's probably been the only one who's really looked cut out for the Premier League, to be honest. I think a lot of people were unsure about Lyle when he came to the club in January. It took him a while to settle. Um, his first few performances, he didn't really seem tuned into the system is probably the best way to put it. His touch was a bit rusty. He didn't seem to be making the right runs. His finishing was really inconsistent. Um, but by the end of the season, he was he was really starting to put results together and his own performance levels were really moving up. And he took that into this season. He obviously had the red card. It was unfortunate, I felt, because he was born out of frustration out of having a goal disallowed for the Premier League later apologised for a refereeing mistake. So if that error hadn't been made, while Foster wouldn't have been sent off and we'd have had him available for three more matches. So um, that's played into the sort of stop-start campaign for him individually. For the team, obviously, he's a, he's a huge loss. He's really the only striker that we have capable of leading the line in that way. Um and while you can't plan for a player needing to take time out for his mental health, I would question the logic of only having one player that can really fit that role in the squad. I think it's... Because he could have just been indic- physically injured as well. Exactly. He could have broken his leg, right, and been out for six months. So it's tricky. Obviously, we all want Lyle to, to get well and everyone's thinking of him and hopefully we'll get some results and be able to dedicate them to him in the meantime and just hope that he gets back to enjoying his football and playing for Burnley as soon as possible. But with the caveat that mental health issues are not to be trifled with and they need to be taken very seriously with. So we can't rush these things. 
Yeah, for sure. And uh, I am curious how you think uh, Burnley will address it on the pitch, but I want to be clear that that is the most important thing. But also, matches will still be played. Uh, how do you think either tactically or within the squad you'll adjust to his absence? Yeah, so we've tried a couple of different things already. Um, and Jay Rodriguez has started the last couple of games. Um, Jay started last season as our striker, so he, he knows company system and he was doing really well in that role, albeit in the championship. He's getting on now, though, is Jay, and even though I love seeing a local lad in the team who's come through the academy, I think it really makes a difference when you have someone who understands the club out there. Um, you can tell that his age is showing a little bit. Foster's pace is one of his big attributes, and we don't really have that down the middle when Foster doesn't play. So the sort of threatening behind balls over the top, that's been reduced. Um, what Jay does bring instead is that his hold-up play is probably a little bit better than Foster's. So it does give us that little bit different aspect of attacking play, but it's a huge loss with Wild not being available. Like you said, he's been involved in most of the goals we've scored. We don't really seem to have anyone else who's confident in front of goal. Um, and Tad was talking earlier about teams at the bottom needing a 10-goal, 15-goal striker. I think Lyle Foster was going to be ours, so it's going to be really difficult for us while he's unavailable. But these things happen in football. Um, but we've had players before who've been through similar things. I think Aaron Lennon, when he was at the club, had something similar going on and took some time out. Um, had Andros Townsend on trial. He's spoken out his mental health. So it's clearly something that people at the club are familiar with and therefore are able to give the right support. And I think everyone just wants to see Lyle Foster back playing for Burnley. All right, yeah. Well, we will obviously see how you adjust. Maybe you have to bring back, back Val Veghorst. You know, who's to say? Um, <laughs> your your favorite player. Have a couple of kits of his. I'm I'm pretty sure. Um, <laughs> next into player watch, uh, where I'm just curious to hear from you guys. Uh, what player that's usually outside your regular, which player that's usually outside of your regular starting eleven is most likely to get an extended run, whether it be due injury or mental health or anything else. Um, obviously, the the big one for us is. Uh, Simicas with the Robertson injury, it seems like he's out until the new year. And with the amount of football that Robertson has played over the last couple of years, um, despite Simicas being there, Klopp just has never trusted Simicas. It doesn't seem, certainly considering the amount of, you know, and it's it's not being disrespectful to the likes of the Carabao Cup, but I don't think you necessarily need to be playing Robertson in Carabao Cup games when you've got a, a left back like Timikas in your squad. If Timikas is not good enough to, you know, be in the squad for the Carabao Cup, you probably need to go and get a new one, new, you know, backup left back, in my opinion. Um, but yeah, so Timikas has to step up. Um, he's going to be asked to play midweek. He was horrendous. Um, obviously, today he was really good at time of recording today. Um, against Brentford, he was really good, got two assists in that game, um, was up and down constantly down that left-hand side. His delivery is still really, really good, which is probably his biggest asset. Defensively, I think sometimes he can still be a bit shady, but he's probably the the biggest one. I think low-key as well, Diogo Jota, because he doesn't necessarily always start for us, but having a player in that 
you know, forward line rotation that has the finishing ability that he has is really, really vital for any team that wants to do something, you know, um, of meaning during a season in terms of trying to win trophies. Having a player like Jota that can either come in, score goals, or come off the bench and score goals, he's been on on fire recently with the amount of goals that he's scoring. And if that continues and he's either putting pressure on the likes of Nunes and the Gakpos and Diaz's and Salas, well, I, I don't think you can put pressure on Salah. It doesn't seem, but all the other all the others, then it bodes well for for Liverpool as a team. Yeah, I think I've obviously mentioned Jay Rodriguez. He was probably going to play a bit part role um, until Al Foster has to take some time out. It looks like he's going to play up front in the meantime. Um, someone who's been injured, who I'm hoping is going to be fit and able to play soon, is Hjalmar Ekdal. Um, it feels like he's played a lot more for us than he actually has. He signed in January and maybe played nine, ten games in the Championship before he got injured. Um, so he's injury-prone. But the centre-back actually formed a very good partnership with Jordan Bayer, who's had a really difficult start to the season. Statistically, they were our strongest pairing last season in the Championship. We barely conceded a goal in the nine, ten games that they played together. Um, Eddell's perhaps not as good on the ball as some of the other defenders that we've played this season, but I think his actual defending is better. Um, and the goals that we keep conceding, I would suggest maybe pick a defender who can defend might be a good idea. <laughs> just a show. <laughs> um, I think he's played a couple of under-21s games, so he's clearly building back to full fitness. We've got a couple of weeks off now for the internationals, so hopefully he's going to come back. Um, I think also the fact that he's a senior player would help a lot. Um, we've got so many young players in our team. I think we can get Ekdal out there. He's an experienced guy. Sweden international. He's been around the block. Um, I think it would really help us to, to look more stable and just have that bit of like know-how and when to clear the ball and when to take a risk. I think some of the players that we've been using just don't really have that. And Ekdal probably is a bit more streetwise. Um, I'm a big fan of his. It's a shame that he does seem a bit injury prone because I think he's a really, really solid player and complements Bayer well as well. So the sooner we can get them together as a pairing, um, the better really. And I'm still hoping for a changing goal, but I think I'm flying on my own on that one because company <laughs> seems wedded to James Trafford, even though, he can't catch the ball, which seems to be a problem for the goalkeeper. <laughs> yep, I've, I'm sure that hurts for you even more, considering the years you stood on maybe goalkeeper should be able to save shots uh, stance. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe, maybe that's the unfortunate uh, opposite of that happening at your very club. Uh, so sorry to hear that. Uh, obviously, no match previews as we head into the international break yet again. Uh, but if you guys would like to tell folks where they can find you or anything you're working on, now would be a good time. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Kev. Uh, you can find me on EPR Index channel, a tad predictable. We do previews of the EPR game weeks. Um, the Twitter handle's at a tad predictable. My Twitter handle is at tad predict. I still call it Twitter. Um, I, I don't think I'm ever going to call it X, really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm also on uh, Twitter, which I don't want to call anything else. You can follow me at Jamie Smith Sport. I write and edit the No Name Ever newsletter. 
and she goes out on Substack most Mondays. Hopefully, there'll be a new edition this week. I am also on the site formerly known as Twitter at Kevroff. The show is at EPL Roundtable. Uh, and of course, you can always email us your questions at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Uh, but yeah, enjoy the international break. Massive thanks to you, Jamie and Ted, for coming on and joining me today. And folks at home, we hope you keep listening. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.